You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 717 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Tuesday evening, and later on this podcast, you will hear an interview that I did with the Locked On Cavs podcast. I was basically a guest on their show, but there is some Hawks talk on that um, segment of the podcast, and um, this is sort of the extra show this week because there was, uh, of course, the Hawks had the back-to-back, and then they have another game on Wednesday, but I wanted to uh, participate participate in that with the Cavs guys, and Chris Manning is a good friend, so uh, there you go on that. That'll be the second, the second half of the podcast, but there was also sort of a pseudo-emergency to talk about here. Um, not quite an emergency podcast because it was kind of foreseeable, but Brandon Goodwin will be sticking around Atlanta for the next little while. Um, Shamsarania reported on Tuesday morning that Goodwin has agreed to a two-year contract with the Hawks. Sarah Spencer of the AJC then confirmed that and said the plan is for Goodwin to sign that deal on Wednesday before the game. I have now heard the same thing, um, but uh, that was the reporting the way that it came down. The one thing that we do not know at this point in time is uh, what the guarantee is on next year's contract for Brendan Goodwin. So specifically, uh, Goodwin is in line to make about $522,000 for the rest of this year, which is the the prorated minimum salary. Still a lot of money, obviously, so shouts to Brandon for that. And next year, the league minimum for him will be about $1.7 million. Um, It has to be the minimum because the Hawks don't have cap space. So um, while there were no details reported, that's the only way that 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 could actually work is because the Hawks are over the cap now after the trade deadline. They they didn't have room to give him like a more than two-year deal at more than the minimum. So it has to be the minimum. It could be up to two years, and that's the way that this actually went down here. The only thing that's uh, sort of up in the air is how much of that salary for for next season is guaranteed for Brandon. But this year is all guaranteed money, and uh, there you go for that. Um, also, the Hawks would have early bird rights on him at the end of the deal. If he were to uh, blow up a little bit, they'd have some uh, limited ways to bring him back while being over the cap. And, of, and of course, cap space and all that stuff as well. Um, just for the record, the Hawks are now at the full 15-player salary in terms of um, our 15-player roster in terms of guys who are on contracts. Charlie Brown still on a two-way deal as well. Um, a lot of people are asking about Goodwin now leaving his two-way spot for a full for a full roster spot and whether the Hawks could replace him as a two-way. They cannot do that. Um, after January 15th, that is no longer allowed. You can't sign anybody to a two-way contract. So uh, this is going to probably, probably be the roster the rest of the way, barring a cut of some sort on the actual full-time roster. There is not a ton of roster flexibility as a result of that. I would say conceivably the Hawks could cut someone like Damian Jones or, or Travion Graham if they absolutely wanted to do that and be able to have some more flexibility. But for, for the most part, I'm assuming this is going to be the roster now for the next two months, and Goodwin will take that that 15th and final roster spot with Charlie Brown still watching his two-way clock. Um, as for the player, obviously Goodwin's been a fan favorite recently, and I think with good reason. He's played well in Atlanta. He's played 25 games for the Hawks. Um, efficiency-wise, it's been a mixed bag for Brandon um, this year. 52% true shooting, 32% or so from three. Nothing great or bad there. Uh, he's, he has had the three legitimate like explosion kind of games already. In his short time with the Hawks, he basically won the Orlando game without Trey Young at the end of December. That was a fun one in the second half when he, when he went nuts. And he was really good against the Clippers in a win, and then the Celtics within the last month or so, those two games as well. So a couple of uh, sort of highlight real performances there from Brandon, of course, in addition to some solid, you know, 
more supporting kind of play. I think his swing skill still is probably shooting. Um, he, but he does play with a lot of force, physicality. He uh, tries really hard. A lot of good effort from Brandon Goodwin. Plays hard on both ends of the floor. Good athlete as well. And I think we've seen him function pretty well in the two-point guard sets that Alex have used, both alongside Jeff Teague and Trey Young at times. I've been saying for months, honestly, that he's an NBA player, and I think that's this is a good look for the Hawks to go ahead and lock him up a little bit, and it's a, it's a good deal for both sides um, through that prism. It does remain to be seen, honestly, how good he is in terms of actually projecting him moving forward. People were sort of uh, penciling him in as the full-time backup for next year. I would not go to that just yet. Um, Goodwin has shown nice flashes, and he could be a backup point guard option for next year. But um, for now, obviously a, a good third point guard. He can also play a little bit of shooting guard, as we've seen this year, as we've seen this year already. And I think... Um, very useful looking ahead, of course, to have him on a very cheap contract as well is good for the Hawks. He's still pretty young, uh, 24 years old and limited experience at the uh, highest levels. But um, all, all in all, I was assuming and have been saying on this podcast for weeks now that I've been assuming that Goodman was going to have a full, a full contract at some point, And it now arrives. So shouts to him. By the way, also just a, a nice story in general because he's a local product from Norcross High School. A pretty cool story that he's uh, ended up on the uh, local team and playing well and, and contributing, um, you know, Pretty, just an awesome thing all the way around for Brendan Goodwin. So that answers all the questions, hopefully, about Goodwin. If I miss something, people will, I'm sure, ask me about it afterwards. But he'll be on the team now um, for the rest of this year and into next year, and we'll come back with more on that if we need to do so later on. Okay, after a short break, I will uh, come back with uh, myself and the interview um, that sort of, I guess, I did with the uh, Lawton Cavs podcast. Uh, but please subscribe to the show if you, uh, if nothing else from this uh, podcast, take the, take that away. And of course, the Hawks are in Cleveland on Wednesday evening. I will have a new show after that, breaking down everything that happens, and then we'll be into the All Star break. So, with that said, here is the uh, interview that I did with the guys from Cleveland. All right, joining Evan and I now um, in a Locked On Network crossover as like. Uh, he's one of the OGs of the network, also an OG over at Peachtree Hoops. It is Brad Roland, the host of Locked on Hawks. Brad, how's it going, buddy? It's going all right. You know, we're spending a Tuesday evening talking to each other, so it could be worse. Thanks yeah, for having me, guys. Yeah, no, it's good for us to, to link up. Um, Evan, I, I want to ask you this as we kind of dive in here with Brad, who covers the Hawks and uh, the Cavs for the Hawks in the last game for the All-Star break on, on Wednesday evening in Cleveland. Um as someone who like looks at the Hawks from like a far away and then Brad just responded. Cause I know, I know you get, I know sometimes when you see Hawks six, you're just like, okay, just come the fuck on people. But <laughs> when, when you are, when you are observing Atlanta in relation to Cleveland, I think there are some similarities, but I think Atlanta is ahead. Do you, are you on that same wavelength as me? Yeah, I definitely am. I think you and I have touched on this a few times, the Cavs for the most part through their uh, Renaissance era. Um, maybe there's, still in the dark ages a little bit like you've alluded to but um they've kind of hit a lot of singles in this draft they haven't really got the guy and atlanta more or less has the guy and trey young and then i mean john collins is a very nice complimentary piece and i like kevin herter as well um still trying to figure out what's going on with some of the other things maybe it's a little bit just like youth and inexperience but other than that um no the fact that the hawks have an all-star in trey young at this young of an age and Cleveland's still kind of treading the waters, figuring things out kind of more or less is where I'm at when you compare the two. Like, yeah, there are some similarities where they're both rebuilding teams, but I think Atlanta is definitely a couple steps ahead. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, it's just one of those things uh, where you guys mentioned it, but having, having the guys, 
the biggest thing in the NBA. We all, we all kind of know that and we talk about it all the time, but it's just worth saying it plainly sometimes that having a star is just very important and the Hawks have one. Um, there's obviously been a discussion about, you know, building around Trey Young and how difficult or easy it might be. But at the end of the day, it's a guy who's averaging, you know, like nearly 30 and 10 in the second season. And you can't really just fake that. He's incredibly talented and good at basketball. So, yeah, having that guy kind of puts you a little bit ahead of the game. The results haven't been there this year necessarily for the Hawks because of other factors. Uh, and honestly, if I think if they had known Trey was going to be this good this fast, they might have built a team dif- differently this year. Um, but, you know, now that they're healthier and, uh, well, non- non-suspension when it comes to John Collins, um, they look like the team that they, that they were kind of supposed to be. And I think they are uh, a little bit ahead as a result of that. Brad, what do you make of um Atlanta like the Cavs making a move for a center a center that makes a decent amount of money not like an albatross amount of money but a, a big at the deadline what did what did you make of them going against Capella right around the same time the Cavs are went out and got Andre Drummond who the, who the Hawks were linked to for a long time I was gonna say they they were and honestly I, I did not want them to trade for Andre Drummond not because Drummond's not good at basketball because I think he is but it just didn't make a lot of sense for the timeline, particularly at that point in time. And it was, you know, early January when there was still the thought that Drummond was going to command a real package in return. And there was some stuff floated out there about what the Hawks might give up for him. And given where the Hawks are, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me to trade for a guy who was on an expiring contract and give up real assets. If they had gotten this him for the same deal that the Cavs did, basically giving up almost nothing, then sure. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, I think Capella made more sense because Capella signed for three years beyond this year. And um, I think he's probably a better defender than Drummond. And there, he does certain things well, obviously. I think Capella's not a superstar. There's people um, in Atlanta that want to think that he's a little bit better than he is probably. But he is good at basketball, like flat out. Does a lot of things well. I think he's a great fit with Trey Young. The talking point here has been about John Collins and Click Capella as a not perfect fit, probably, which I tend to agree with. I think it can work, but ultimately it made sense to me if it was a long term thing, because the Hawks, you know, obviously were making a lot of noise about wanting to go out and get a center right now. And I think there was some ownership pressure potentially and just a lot of noise about getting better right now. But they kind of bridge the gap by getting a guy who helps them now if Capella gets healthy in, in the near future. But more importantly, he signed for three years at a pretty reasonable contract. And I think that's kind of what they were trading for more so than this year, pretty clearly because this year is kind of just over as you, as you guys well know, uh, when you're, when you're as far out of, out of the, out of the playoff mix as the Cavs and the Hawks are right now, it's kind of just all about the future. And I think the Hawks kind of know that even if they did, if they, I did want to get a little bit better now because just to appease some stuff, because it's brutal when you struggle this badly, particularly when the Hawks had some expectations this year, not, not massive ones, but they had, I think they had higher expectations than some people um, maybe thought. And I think they wanted to uh, get better now while looking for the future. Evan, what do you make of center investment by two young teams? Um, Like Brad alluded to, I think if the Hawks were able to get Drummond for the price that Cleveland paid, I think <clears throat> that trade is a lot more palatable. But maybe Clint Capella is a little bit more of a long-term gamble at this point. Um. I I guess Atlanta didn't give up too, too much in this trade to begin with. I mean, they got the guy they were looking for, and they ended up waving Nene, and they got rid of, uh, I mean, they waved Chandler Parsons, and I don't know, it's just kind of interesting to see. So a lot of their other small moves as well were interesting, like picking up Dwayne Deadman again, I think is a nice depth acquisition, and maybe he just compliments the Hawks of what they're trying to do overall. But yeah, no, I think I'm just curious to see what they're going to do with John Collins and Clint Capella going forward. And, the same can be said, though, for – but I, let me just touch on this, though, because 
Trey Young is a proven commodity at this point. He is can hit from anywhere in a half court situation, like anywhere from the half court line on, and he is an amazing playmaker. And I think he pairs nicely with Capella in that regard. With Cleveland, they traded for Drummond and Chris. You and I were both listening on the conference call with Kobe Altman. They he kind of viewed the trade at the time as someone who can also help in the development of Darius Garland and Colin Sexton and Kevin Porter and even Jetty Osmond to an extent who are all have potential as playmakers, but they're not at the level of Trey. So I can kind of see why both teams made the investment and maybe like Brad alluded to, if Atlanta knew Trey was going to be this good, maybe they start making moves like this ahead of time. And maybe they start trying to round out more of a playoff caliber team, but I can understand the appeal for both, and I hope it works out for Atlanta because they have a pretty fun and exciting team to begin with. But it's just interesting to see going forward what exactly is going to boil down, especially when you look at that John Collins Clint Capella pairing. Because I'm a big John Collins guy, and I want to hope it works, but who knows? You never know. Brad, I, I want to. Capella's not going to play anytime soon, right? Like that. That's like he's still injured, correct? He, he is injured. There is, um, you know, in their intro press conference with Capella, they kind of did the dance about him not being seen by the physicians yet in Atlanta. Um, they did kind of rule him out until after the All-Star break, obviously. But there is some thought that he could play sooner rather than later. But he's not playing now and has not played yet. And there's not a firm timeline, which is always uh, interesting, again, because of where the Hawks are. They have no reason to push him whatsoever. So it might it might be a while if they decide to get conservative. Yeah. Okay. So when when you're looking at like I think with Drummond, and I'd be curious to see what you think of this, but when I when Evan and I look, I think look at Drummond, one of the things that we sort of are interested in seeing, and Evan, tell me if, if I'm wrong in speaking for you here, but I think I that we want to see how Drummond <laughs> is going to impact guys sort of directly <clears throat> and indirectly. Like I want to see whether on off. Like we, I need more than the two games we're going to get before the All Star break. Yeah. But I want to see like how you know how his on off stuff compares to Tristan Thompson and how like his kind of pairings with these young guards kind of compares to someone like Christian Thompson whose minutes he's going to eat. Um, Capella's a little different, a little younger, kind of less of is going to kind of be, I think I would assume he's going to be forced for the ball a little bit less than Drummond is. But when he is around, are there like, is there any one guy where you're like, where that's like a litmus test for you to see how he kind of fits? I don't really know if I have that with, with Drummond just because it's probably Sexton, but I don't have like a great read on that. But when you look at Capella and him being integrated into Atlanta, is there a guy that you're going to kind of gauge more than the others to kind of see how he's affecting him, that player, either positively or negatively? I don't think there's one that's like super obvious. I think Capella, you know, and this is something that, that the Hawks have said publicly now, is, you know, a perfect fit with Trey Young and the fact that he's a, he's a pick and roll guy, um, lob threat, rim protector kind of guy. And, but I think we already know what Trey Young kind of is and what he can be. I think, you know, the, the obvious answer is John Collins just because of how it has to work or, you know, or one of those guys can't be around. And I think it actually can work, but there is definitely an argument between can work and is a smart idea at the highest levels because eventually they have to pay John Collins. And if that doesn't fit perfectly, there's an argument about that. So it's a situation where he he's definitely the pairing that everyone is, I, I would say, eager to see in the last two months of the season, how that's going to work in terms of just impact on the Capella brings. I don't I'm not really sure there's anybody I, just having that backline rim protector is huge for almost everyone because the defense has been so bad this season that you know having even Deadman helps with this as well but just having a legitimate high-end defender just props everybody up I think 
Evan, is there someone on the Cavs you're kind of interested in seeing? As we kind of wrap up our first segment here, is there anyone you're kind of weighing to see how Drummond affects them? Is there any one guy in particular? I think, like you already touched on it, I think Colin Sexton, you and I have <clears throat> spoken ad nauseum to uh, most of the, I don't know, resistance and up, making people upset on Cavs Twitter, just how down we are on Sexton as a playmaker. Maybe having a reliable option as a lob threat maybe as a pick and roll partner if Sexton adds that feature to his passing game like maybe that unlocks a feature of his game that we're kind of treading the water on he has been putting up some decent assist numbers for at least the month of January and I mean that game against the Clippers feels like a blur because of how bad it was so I'm not really taking much stock in that one but um no I think Sexton is definitely the interesting option what about you Chris I think it's I think if it's not Sexton um I think it's probably Garland, you know, just because like I feel like Darius early in the year, one of the, the I think the pleasant things we had thoughts we had of him was just that the passing was better than I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, there was just advanced stuff there that I thought didn't show up because necessarily in his scouting reports or some of the breakdowns that I'd read. So, but I'm curious to see if they Drummond only had caught like 13 lobs in Detroit this year or something like that. So I want to see if that gets ramped up. Um, they certainly made a move to get him rolling to the rim a bit in that first game, but it was also Kevin Love sometimes passing to him as well. So there's going to be some stuff that I'm curious to see how it plays out. John, or, right, excuse me, is looking at the outside of this. Um, I really like most of the the young guys in Atlanta. Um, particularly like Herder, love Trey, like John Collins, like Capella. When you look at the Cavs core, is there anyone that when you've watched the, and hopefully you have not watched them a ton because that's just bad. like no one needs really. <laughs> like we we do yeah. we do that and Evan and I do that so other people don't have to. We we take it you know. On Brad, the- I'm not even joking. Last night Chris was saying the Cavs have 30 ish games left in the season, and I just quietly clipped till they put me out of my misery. And I had it's a not- few. I had a few friends text me saying like I heard you say that, and I'm it's like, an- yeah, it's pretty. It's it's not as bad as last year though. That's like my caveat to this. So that last year I felt like I was just like like just take just shoot me. Please. Well, tr- trust me. By the way, you know the year before Trey Young, year one of the rebuild that was uh, the Dennis Schroeder Torian Prince show in Atlanta. Ooh, I can I can ooh. identify with that was a brutal season. Ooh, I did not enjoy that. Stuff for my guy Brad. So um, I'm with you guys. Don't worry. Do you like? I mean, is there anyone um of the Kevs Young guys that you you're particularly interested in for whatever reason? Um. Honestly, I kind of, I kind of like most of them. I'm not a huge Sexton guy, but also I'm not. I don't think I'm low on Sexton. I think there are people nationally that just like bury Sexton, and I'm not in that category. I think he's kind of a tough fit in certain ways, but also a talented guy. You know, Garland, I've always kind of liked. Um, I like KPJ a lot. I've, I kind of always have. If he can figure out everything that he needs to figure out, he's super talented. So, I don't know. I'm not. I, I wouldn't say that there's one guy that I'm in love with, but because I do other NBA stuff, I do have to watch the Cavs a decent amount. Not not like you guys, but uh, I'm I'm mildly intrigued by the by all the young guys, honestly. KPJ is the fun one, and I think yeah. I speak for Evan in that like he is the yeah. he's the very very fun one. He is fun, a lot of fun. Uh, Evan, any final thoughts here in this first segment? Um, I guess I don't know. I think yeah, like. I can't even imagine, first off, how miserable it is to watch Dennis Schroeder be your lead guard. But, um, <clears throat> uh, Brad, do you think the Hawks gave up like a ton of sacrifices? Maybe we touch on this more in the next segment. But just to like, oh, they made a lot of roster moves. Let's be frank at the trade deadline. But do you think they really made a lot of like altering franchise, all franchise altering moves that are going to affect the way things are going going forward, at least for this season? Um, 
you know, Capella's the one that could be that. Um, I would say probably positively, more so than negatively. I can't imagine there's too much downside there unless he just gets hurt or something. But that, that's the one move that's an actual impact move. They give up a mid a mid first round pick to to do it. But the rest of the moves are all on the periphery. Even Deadman, who I who I like and they like, is still like a uh, stopgap kind of, you know moving resources around kind of move whereas Capella's it's not all in by any means but that, that's the one time in the recent past that they've actually used an asset to go out and make a move to help the team so uh, that one is the closest that I, I could probably see coming to that gotcha yeah that sounds all right okay we're gonna take a quick break and then us three us three locked on hosts are all gonna be back to talk more about the Cavs and the Hawks and really specifically look at Wednesday's game in Cleveland so stay tuned for that and we're back. Chris Manning here with Brad Roland from Lockdown Hawks and my co-host, my co-pilot here on Lockdown Cavs, Evan Damerell. Um, Brad, I, we're going to look at Tuesday's game, but you are all in your the many, many sports things you do. You are also a Michigan fan. Um, so you were from you were one of the first people, I believe, that I DM'd and was like, tell me about John Beeline when that happened. <laughs> yep. um, what do you make of him in the NBA so far? We have like you know, two thirds of a season sample size. What do you make of it? Um, obviously, in the end, I would defer to you guys because you've seen you've seen more of it than I have um, this season. I'm not surprised by some of the things I, I think Beeline is like a teacher and he's old. And, you know, a lot of the things that were made, a lot of the things that were made, honestly, I, I thought Beeline was an incredible college coach. I will stand yeah. on that. I think he ran a very modern offensive set, which allowed, I think, is part of the reason why NBA teams were interested in him at various times. Um. I think again, he's an awesome college coach. I I was kind of skeptical the entire time of the NBA thing, just because of the just the way that he operates. He's kind of an all shucks guy. He's not like a you know, I mean, motivator is different in a different way, but he wasn't like known for that. He was a player development kind of coach, and that program is player development focused. But he didn't always strike me as someone who would be like a natural NBA fit, aside from just the X's and O's that he ran. Um, and so all the all the stories about like him naming cuts and things like that, like didn't stun me honestly. I think. You know, you guys again could tell me more than I could um, from this point forward. But I always believed that he could that he could coach in the NBA from an X's and O's standpoint. The relationship stuff I just didn't know enough about, and just you know, doing the math on age and kind of the way that he kind of you know, honestly, even the way that even the way that he got to Michigan, Michigan was by far the biggest program that he had run, and he came up as a guy who was never an assistant coach. He was a head coach the entire time, and had this really weird backstory and not in a bad way but just not a traditional nba path so my guard was up and uh you know i, I think there probably been some positives and minuses but you guys would know better than i would yeah i guess my question is for you and you maybe we can s spill a little bit of the beans on this um do you think him taking such a collegiate approach might lead to his downfall because there's a large contingency of Cavs fans who are ready for him just for the team just to move on from him as head coach and like you said, he was brought in as a player development guy, and maybe he's not known as being like a motivator and a leader, or maybe not as a leader per se, but like his resume speaks for itself. But like he at one point touched on it where Colin Sexton originally wasn't named to the Rising Stars roster, and he said pregame, he's like, I spent maybe 30 seconds just telling him that, uh, hey, it happens, but you know, just uses his motivation going forward. Like, I don't know. And from what I've read and what I've gathered, like he's rubbed a lot of players the wrong way at this collegiate approach. And do you think that might be his, a bit of what's holding him back from being a successful coach? Or do you think it's a lot of maybe a little bit of that more so just the way Cleveland's roster is constructed and it's just kind of like an awkward fit right now for him? Yeah, I was going to say it's, it's probably both in some respects and, you know, not being there, it's tough, but I, I could see him dealing with veterans in particular in year one. 
um that not going well and that's that wasn't a huge shock to me that that veteran guys did not take to that right away particularly when they were losing like it's 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 different if you win but you know cleveland wasn't supposed to win this year so it was one of those things where you could kind of see the writing on the wall in some respects you know only giving him one year would be kind of insane just based on the um on the investment that they that they did and all that stuff but at some point if, if it's not going well you know maybe you have to reset it i'm he's just it's just weird to me the whole thing was bizarre like the way it happened leaving michigan it was kind of late in the game as well it just kind of came out of nowhere and i don't know it's i think the college approach just doesn't work all that well at times i think there's Mm -hmm. a reason why college coaches don't jump to the nba with regularity there are a couple of times that it's actually worked you know billy donovan recently has obviously worked very well but a lot of the times it doesn't work and that's why people don't make those hires because and even then beeline wasn't even a traditional college hire he was someone who came out of virtual obscurity which just happened to be an incredible like tactician basketball coach who's also just a nice man but it's like he was not a high level recruiter necessarily he wasn't a big time considerable like motivator speaker kind of guy he just likes to coach basketball i don't know it's weird yeah, there are certain guys that like he's gotten along really well with Larry Nance. Um, I think like him and KPJ have like meshed to a certain degree, I think. Um, but I Del- think there are Del- guys Del- he hasn't gotten along with. Yeah, he him and Delhi have really hit it off, which is like the least surprising thing you possibly could have told me was gonna happen. Um I also just like think the whole thing about like the name, the names of the cuts or like whatever they didn't like that they were animals is just stupid. That is really like, dumb. Yeah, I it's agree. The, it's <laughs> like the dumbest thing to be aggrieved about. I'm just sorry. Like I, I get that like NBA players get in their their sets and like they I understand why some of the guys would like want like really like playing for Larry Drew or like want to play for a guy like Ty Lue or whatever. It's stupid. If like if one of your like give me better nitpicks, then I don't like that the cut is named after a goat or whatever. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> I don't even know if that's like yeah. it was a goat, but it's just stupid. It's just polar bear. Stupid. It was yeah, something. Bear. Yeah, that that's right. Uh, but no, I I totally agree. I mean, there there are real issues and not real issues, and that that one is not a real one. That that's not a real thing. Just stupid. I guess my question for you, real quick, is how are things going in your opinion? Since we're not as closely involved with the Hawks with Lloyd Pierce, I thought it was a good hire at the time, and I guess I'm you have a better gauge of how things are going. Like, is it going well with his time as a head coach of the Hawks? Yeah, I mean, I, I liked the hire. They went they went um, young on purpose when they hired uh, before last season. Basically, everyone that they interviewed was like 45 or younger or at least 50 or younger they were definitely trying to go young player development focused and pierce had that reputation i asked around about him didn't know him a ton before that but people he seems to be kind of beloved in the league um i think last year his approval rating was very high just because you know expectations were very low and he's an affable guy he's good with the media he's got he's got charisma like i really like him as a person uh, i really enjoyed dealing with him and talking to him this year it's been a little bit of blowback i would say from the fan base they're not exactly enthralled with him part of that is that the team didn't make the leap that people wanted them to make which i don't think is a whole lot on lloyd pierce frankly um a lot of that was on john collins getting suspended and injuries and all that stuff but um with i would say at least a i would say a portion of the fan base thought that this is like a playoff team this year and if they if you view that then you see trey young doing what he's doing the natural fall guy is the head coach. And I, I sort of understand that mindset, but, you know, and there's been a few times where I've, I've criticized Lloyd and the way he's done things this year. I think he's not been perfect. He's admitted to that. I think he could have done a better job, but I think all things considered, he's done pretty well. Um, but there is, there's is a little bit of heat locally on him. I would say, particularly in the last, I don't know, month or so, there's been some people that have been upset and I, I get it when the team's not winning. I, I would preach patience on this one. I think it's his first time being a head coach, which also makes it tough 
But um, in general, I think he was very, very well liked for about the first year. I still think he's doing a pretty decent job. But um, there's been there's been the natural blowback when happens when you're losing, particularly. And I'm sure you guys identify with this. Anytime a team doesn't doesn't perform well defensively, the coach gets blamed, which I always find funny. Yeah, that that was the cab story with Mike Longobardi for like two years. And he's still it's like drifting for jobs. How do you? My 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 favorite thing is like how do you look at this Hawks roster and think that they're supposed to be able to play defense? They they don't have any defensive players. I mean they have they have some, they have the rookies who are good defensive prospects and I think are on that path. But coming into the year, anyone that looked at the roster would have told you this was going to be a bad defensive team, and they are. And that's I would say partially on the head coach, but there's just this loud contingent of people that always blame the coaches for not inspiring the team to play hard and play defense, and it's just not a thing. You have to have talent. So I don't know. Uh, it, it's a it's a mixed bag. I still think that Lloyd is um, a good basketball coach, but at some point he's going to have to win, um, which is kind of the nature of every head coach. But um, you know, first time guy doesn't doesn't have the same kind of cachet as a retread even or someone who has more respect. So the uh, the rope is uh, usually a little bit shorter for a guy who's on his first job, particularly when you have a you have a superstar now. So if you have a star in people's minds like Trey Young. Um, and you don't win, the head coach just gets more heat. And that's that's kind of just the way, it, the way it works. Brad, what is something, as we kind of wrap up here, what is something you are looking forward to? Or we'll go around here and everyone will share something. I will go last year. But Brad, what is something you are looking forward to seeing on Wednesday in, in the last, I believe it's the last game for both teams for the All-Star break. Yep. Um, but what are you just kind of looking forward to seeing in this matchup? Honestly, I, I I'm looking forward to see if the Hawks... You know, we talked about defense a second ago. If the Hawks can execute defensively, um, they kind of famously had a terrible defensive outing on Monday. They played Orlando, um, and granted, it was a back-to-back for the Hawks, but Orlando's offense is not good, and they gave up about a, they gave up one forty or so to the Magic, and that was a, a rough performance. Um, and honestly, you know, I think as of this moment, the Hawks are favored on the road, which is staggering to me. But I also understand it because of the way Cleveland's been playing. So. I don't know. It's I think the 13, way that 14 losses, yo, it's what's it's 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 a good it's a good hang. It's extremely yeah, I uh, mean, tough hang. You just want to end on a high note. And honestly, I, I'm hoping maybe not hoping I'm thinking that it would be a good idea if the Hawks started Dwayne Devin for the first for the first time. The first two games that he got there, he was off, off the coming off the bench because they hadn't had a practice or anything like that. But they also closed with him. And I, I kind of want to see him with the starters just operating in his normal role, which is more of a Hawks niche thing. But because Capella's unavailable, having Deadman play, you know, 30 plus minutes on Wednesday alongside Young and Collins and Herter and just seeing what that looks like is something that I'm looking forward to and hoping happens because the other options the Hawks have at center are not great. So just go ahead and play them, throw them out there and see what happens. All right, Evan, what about you? What are you looking forward to? I'm kind of interested to see how Cleveland acclimates Andre Drummond a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me, more, uh, Kevin Love is questionable at this point with an Achilles injury, but I feel like this is um, just lead up to the All-Star break and they're giving him the night off uh, so he can head on vacation sooner. So um, Andre Drummond's probably going to get a lot of defensive attention from Atlanta. I'm sure the young guards will as well, but it'll be interesting to see what Cleveland does in this situation. Will they, well, Larry Nance will start alongside him. Maybe we'll get a little freaky with it and bump Nance down to the three and we got Nance at the three, Thompson at the four, Drummond at the five, and we just try to go bully ball in Atlanta and see how that goes. But um, just to, for Brad's point, don't be surprised that Atlanta's favorite coming into Cleveland, they are 
also a very, very, very bad defensive team. And um, individually, like there's some bright spots on this roster, but overall it's just kind of a mess right now. So maybe you guys will get your mojo on both ends of the court that way and have a good way to build momentum. And I guess on the other side of things, I'm just always excited to watch Trey Young play. He's just a legitimately exciting player, and especially for casual fans, maybe this will help bring in a decent crowd for a Wednesday night game and what's shaping up to be a very cold week in Cleveland. So maybe, maybe it'll just be a fun overall atmosphere of Trey in town. What about you, Chris? Uh, I want to see what kind of Colin Sexton, Trey Young shenanigans we get, because as when they were rookies, Colin was like trying to make that a thing. And Trey is just like, <laughs> that's like not really what he was doing. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give give me shenanigans. I just like need some shenanigans between Colin Sexton and Trey Young. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if that means they're both just like trying to score on each other. I don't know if that means like like Colin. I I, I truly would like want Colin Sexton. I don't know if Brad, if you've seen the the gif of like him looking at uh one of the the one of the Hardaway's kids and like staring at him when they're like waiting for a free throw to be shot, or Colin just is like sta- like st- like bends over and is just glaring at him while they're standing next to each other. I would really like Colin to do something like that, like with Trey. Um, I just want some shenanigans. That's that's like really, really all, all I'm looking for out of this. It's just a fun game, you know, where we see some yes. drum and dunks or whatever. But give me Colin Sexton, Trey Young shenanigans like that. That's like the best outcome. Colin Sexton feeling like he just has something to prove is like a very fun Colin Sexton. And I would like to see him like compete against a guy that I know he he kind of measures himself against to some degree. Chris, before we go real quick, do you think that Trey Young and Colin Sexton could be like Deion Waiters and Tim Hardaway? But, you know, like that, it's random, but I was watching that Rising Stars highlights where Deion and Tim Hardaway went back and forth for however long it was, and it actually made a all-star game kind of exciting. But do you think it could end up like that where Trey starts jack? Oh, Trey apparently doesn't acknowledge the rivalry, but Colin's going to try as hard as he can to jack up as many shots as he can to the detriment of the Cavs. I want that. I extremely want that. Um, that that's the best outcome for me. That that was like maybe a, looking back, that's probably like the top three all time Dan Waiters thing. So, well, you know, no, that's not true. It's probably top five. But if we could get a version of that, yeah, I'm I'm very very in for that. Especially if Trey Young's like bombing threes from like forty feet, and then Colin like tries to do the same thing and it like starts working. I don't know. I I want shenanigans. Brad, are you pro? Are you pro this? Or are you just like? get off like what what do you do you i don't because i don't think trey cares and so i don't do you, i mean do you care no if, he, if, does, like, he doesn't yeah. i mean i i think this is not disrespect to colin because i you know he's a local guy to atlanta by the way um but i i think that's they're just in a different places right now i think mm-hmm. trey is comparing himself to other people that are not colin sexton at this moment um but colin you know I'm sure Colin likes to play against the Hawks in general because that's his hometown team, and Trey is someone who want, he wants to match up against. I'm sure, but yeah, I, I don't I don't think that Trey has that same kind of energy level in this game. Maybe he will, but he just Trey's just good and probably will have a big game anyway. But uh, yeah, I mean shenanigans are fine with me. Colin is entertaining when he plays that way when he starts slapping the floor and pulling his shorts up and stuff like that. He's he's entertaining at times, um, but I don't know. I, I think Trey is probably this is probably just another game for Trey. And by the way. He has a very busy weekend ahead, so um, yeah. Trey might be uh, hoping to not have to expend too much energy on Wednesday. I don't know. Yeah, is he? Well, he is he going to play in Rising Stars? As far as I know, he's on he's on the roster. Um, at one point, it was reported by Haynes that he was going to do Rising Stars skills and three point contest, and then 
he did not end up in the skills competition, which I thought was interesting. Maybe he that, maybe that was the one concession that he made because he's going to be playing Friday, three point on Saturday, and then and obviously starting in the game on Sunday. So maybe he didn't want to pull the uh, the four event participation, but he's got something every day. Yeah, must be a nice problem to have. Yeah, that's that's extremely first world problem for for my guy Trey Young. Okay, Brad, as we get out of here, um, you have a ton of stuff going on. Just give everyone a plug uh, for Locked On Cavs listeners in particular. Just what you have going on. Yeah, I mean, Locked On Hawks is uh, what this has mostly been about. I also write for Dime at Uprocks, which is the more national NBA stuff. I do power rankings there and NBA draft stuff there and news stuff there, and we have a good time with myself and Robbie Callen and Martin Rickman and. Bloody Filippo, lots of other people. I write for Sportsline as well, do some baseball stuff. I'm quite busy, honestly. Um, but yeah, just follow me on, on Twitter. It's the best place to find me. It's at BT Roland, and uh, there you go. If I could donate sleep, um, I would donate it to Brad because my guy, I am always amazed when I find he's like, yeah, I slept three hours last night, but I'm cool. It, it's true. Martin Rickman like swears by the fact that you just don't sleep, and I just it blows my mind you're able to pull that off, Brad. It's 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 truly it's truly impressive that you. I, I can't. I'm washed. I cannot do that anymore. I hit the wall sometimes, and Martin usually hears me when I hit the wall and slack, like just kind of melting down when I've slept an hour and um, things are not going well. Like the other, I'm sure you guys understand this, but last week the deadline, um, the Hawks made a deal at like 1 a.m. Like the Pelotre was it? So I was mm-hmm. up till like four or so that night, and then had to be at work at like 6:30 the next day, and it was just one of those nights, man. Uh, we all we all have, we all have to do it, but uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Sleep sleep would be good, maybe, maybe yeah. sometime in August. Yeah, the worst, the only, the last time I had that was I got home from a finals game when it was like four in the morning and I got up at like seven. I was just like, what, what, what am I doing? I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm used to doing life. it like once or twice a year. Like draft night is always, a, always a good one because the draft's on Thursday and it always goes into the wee hours and then I have work the next day. That's always brutal. Um, I don't understand why it is the case though. Like I totally forgot that this year. Went to the arena to like cover it, like and talk to the, and I was like, why, why is this going on? So let's go, let's pick it up. Chris. We had this exact conversation like a f- about a week ago where I'm like, yeah, no, I dipped out last second because I realized how late the draft was going to go and I had work the next morning. So <clears throat> I did not. As soon as, I got, decision. as soon as I knew Cleveland was done for the night, like I got confirmation. I'm like, all right, I shut my laptop and went to bed at like 11 o'clock. I was one of the uh, it was it usually ends up being me and like two other people that make it to the very end of the Hawks availability. And the GM comes out at, you know, one thirty in the morning and is talking about second round picks. And it's just it's, it's a dark place, but we do it. At least your GM's available. Hey, there we go. It's there like we if, go. If there's a Locked on Cavs bingo card, that would be on it. But for myself, for Brad, for Evan, this is Locked on Cavs, Locked on Hawks crossover. We'll all talk to you after Wednesday's game. Subscribe to the pods wherever you get your podcasts. And enjoy the game for whatever it ends up looking like.